Great faith. That is our theme this year, church. I'll say it one more time. I'm sorry if you're getting tired of hearing it. If this is your first time here, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. This is High Point Church. We are a young church here in Kennesaw. We're passionate about seeing the next generation one for Jesus. We're passionate about families. We're passionate about multiplying. From time to time, you'll see people who, who leave our church and go to other Every Nation churches or help start new churches. And we're dreaming about even producing more churches here in Atlanta. Because last time I checked, our country and our world needs more light of the gospel. More Jesus. We need more of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? I think we can all agree that we need more of Jesus. And so one of the ways that we encounter more of who God is is by allowing our faith to grow. We need great faith. And so one of the things that we're doing as a global movement of churches is we're all focusing in, uh, whether it's churches in Jacksonville, churches in uh, Tennessee, whether it's Portland, Oregon, Los Angeles, Boston, we're all doing the same thing. Literally thousands and thousands of people hearing the gospel preached in a similar fashion, called to do the very same things, believing together, praying together. And it's exciting. It's an exciting thing to do with people all around the world. I wish we had like a live webcam and we could pipe into our churches in Africa or our churches in Asia or wherever. But we can't do that. So sorry to kind of get you excited for no, no reason. Uh, we can't actually do that. But here's what we can do. We can take confidence in the fact that we're all growing in the same direction. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. We're going to jump straight in, and as you do so, I want to ask you a question, a series of questions. Here we are in January, and my question for you is this, are you confident in Christ Jesus? Think about it for a moment. Take a deep breath. Is your confidence in Jesus Christ and him alone? When you look at 2019 and when you look at the months ahead, do you have confidence that Jesus Christ is in control of your life? That he's truly in charge? When you look at 2019, do you truly rest in the fact that God is good and his plans for you are great? Do you have confidence in Jesus Christ this morning? The scriptures remind us not to throw our confidence away. And why would we be encouraged and even warned not to do that if it were not so easy to, in fact, do? I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of times in my life where I did not feel confident about what was going to happen. I didn't feel confident about God's goodness in my life. There were times where I didn't even feel confident that God was even aware that I existed and that he was aware of what I was going through. That's how it felt at times. As humans, regardless of what you're going through, whether you're, whether you're try, believing for a new job, whether you've gone through a divorce, whether you're going through something difficult, whether it's the best week of your life, 
Here's what I know to be true. There are times in your life where it is a battle to remain confident in who Jesus Christ is and what he's doing in your life. And so we want to start the year off right by making sure that our confidence is in the right thing. Because all these other things don't matter if we aren't anchored to the one true thing that matters most, and that's Jesus Christ. That's with me this morning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to tie ourselves. We're going to tie ourselves. We're going to sew ourselves in, so to speak, to Jesus this morning. And in the weeks to come, we are going to lock it in. If you ever played Top Gun on the original Nintendo and you had to, you know, line your little target up and, you know, it would start beeping when you finally had lock on target and you'd send your, your missiles off to fight the enemy aircraft. This is what we're doing, except we're not fighting with Jesus. We are locking onto him, though, because we do not want to drift. We want our eyes on the prize. Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. You guys ready? Let's do this. If you're a note taker today, this is your day. So to get out your notes app, get out your notebook, you've got a pen right there. If you have none of those things, write it on that communication card or steal one from the person next to you. You don't want to miss this. The writer Hebrews says, Recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay." But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Hebrews is an amazing book in the New Testament. It's filled with theology, great theology. You can learn more about, you know, the, the blood of Christ and the seed of Christ. And you can learn more about all these great theological conversations from this book. But when you get to Hebrews chapter 10, it takes a little bit of a different tone. It feels a little bit more like a locker room talk. And if you've ever played for a sports team or maybe you're cheering on a sports team, specifically like maybe football, um, you, you know what I'm talking about when, when I say that sometimes the way you start the game and the way that you're playing when you start isn't the way that you're finishing. You know what I mean by that? Or maybe it's, you know, you're heading into halftime and you came out just amped and excited, and you're rallied together. But by the time the half is coming, you look like you're dying a thousand deaths. You've also seen it before where the team that you're rooting for comes out 
and they're ready to play, except they don't look like they're ready to play. In fact, they look like they just don't even care about winning. And you get so frustrated, right, because somehow you have this major emotional investment in this team that you're watching from television. But you know what I mean when I say that the way you start isn't always the way that you finish. And the writer in Hebrews is talking to a young church, probably a church like ours. And he's reminding them, he's saying, man, the way you started your faith journey is not the way you look anymore. You need to recapture some of the things that you had when you first started following Jesus. You need to get back to some things. Get back to some of the basics. And so he writes this this nice list. And so one of the things that I want us to be reminded of and in many ways, there's a defining moment for us moving forward as a church and for you personally is that if you're going to have great faith for the future, it starts by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. Meaning, how God has moved prior to this is an important thing to remember. Because God is always faithful. But how many times have we seen God move and perform and move and deliver and perform and show up and do this? And yet here we are facing difficult situations again. And what do we do? We panic. We fear. We don't trust. Yet God showed up here, 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 and here. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you guys, let's get it together And let's be reminded of how many times God showed up faithful. Would you remind yourself of that? Because you're losing it over here. And you're supposed to be the church. You should look different than the rest of the world. The way that you started isn't the way that you're playing anymore. Let's hit reset and let's recapture some of the things that you have lost. I'm going to outline them one more time. Recall the former days, verse 32. Just lose, did I lose it? There we go. Remember the former days after you were enlightened, meaning after you came to faith. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So the first thing that they had to recapture, if you're taking notes this morning, was they had to recapture this ability to endure, endurance. If you've ever watched a team that just doesn't have the capacity to endure, they can't hang out on the field and compete with the other team. The other team has greater capacity. The other team has greater strength. And here, the, the writer of Hebrews, we, we presume it's Paul. We don't actually know. But the writer of Hebrews here is reminding them they need to have endurance. Remember when you first came to faith, you experienced hardship. But you endured it. 
In fact, the text reminds us that they endured it and they did it with joy. Isn't it amazing that when you remind yourself who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you, you can face anything? Isn't it amazing when you have the right perspective on who God is and his greatness at work in your life? There is nothing too difficult for you to be able to face. It's also interesting to note that that after coming to faith, they were immediately met with hardship. And this is something we don't like to talk about all the time, but I have great news for you. That doesn't sound like great news. But that when you put your faith in Jesus and you choose to follow him, you better get ready for hardship to come knocking on your door. Because you have an enemy that hates your guts who will do anything to rob you of that faith, to discourage you, to dissuade you, to get you off the narrow path. And so the minute these young followers put their faith in Jesus, they were met with hardship. Nowadays, we do absolutely anything and everything to avoid experiencing any kind of pain or difficulty or hardship. And I'm telling you, the more we avoid pain, the more we will never walk into the fullness of who Jesus has made us to be. Can't dodge it. They needed endurance. You'll notice the writer here doesn't say they needed deliverance in this moment. Because that's not what they needed. They needed to be able to endure. Secondly, they had compassion and sympathy for others. In other words, they were not indifferent to the pain and challenges and difficulties that the other people that they were walking with were experiencing. I don't know about you, have you ever just your heart has begun to grow in indifference towards other people? It's like your heart begins to get calloused and hard, easily offended, and easily offended, and easily offended. And you get where I'm going, where, where our hearts become hard. There's no longer grace and compassion and sympathy for others, for what they're going through, your willingness to suffer with them, to pray for them, to labor alongside of them. Third, I love this, there was joy in persecution. Consider it pure joy, James says, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let perseverance finish its work. In other words, let your endurance do what it's supposed to do so that you can be mature and you can be complete. In other words, if you short-circuit the process, you will never find yourself growing into the fullness of maturity. And ladies and gentlemen, we have so many people who are Christians, who love Jesus, yet aren't willing to hunker down and endure. And they never grow into the fullness of maturity. Facts only this morning. And what's also amazing is that when you have that fresh faith 
in Jesus. Great faith. That faith, you, you remember it. Remember when you put your faith in Jesus. If you became a Christian later in life, I want you to be reminded right now of what it was like when you first believed. Did you not have such joy? There was nothing that you were going to face that could rob you of that joy because you had found the greatest treasure on earth, the greatest prize, and that prize was Jesus Christ, which is rem reminds us of his parable. For those of you who find this treasure hidden in a field, what would you do to get it? You would sell everything that you have, and you'd willfully do it. You'd give up all for the joy set before you of having the treasure of Jesus. For those of you who have who've grown up in church and you've been Christians a long time, maybe you can't articulate or define this moment of when you became a Christian, but I promise you there are distinct moments where you can look and say, man, that was a defining moment where my relationship with Jesus changed. What happened? What was the joy like in that moment? Because if that isn't with you, you need to recapture it because you will not have the capacity to have great faith and have your confidence in Jesus Christ if you don't understand the true joy of knowing him in the first place. And then fourthly, this kind of ties a ribbon around all of it, perspective. It says they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. I don't know about you, but I've never had my property plundered. I've never had assets taken. I've never really had my reputation marred for following Jesus. I've taken a few shots along the way. I've taken a few hits along the way. But not like this. Not even close. They're literally losing property. They're losing their rights. They're losing money. They're losing privileges. All because of their relationship with Jesus, and yet they do it with joy. Why? Because they knew that they themselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Meaning, their possessions, their reward was not earthly, and they knew it. And therefore, they were willing to let go of all of their earthly things, their earthly possessions, their earthly cash, their earthly property. They could let go of it because their reward was not an earthly one. It was an eternal one, and they knew it. And therefore, whatever happened, I do it all for the glory of God. You guys with me this morning? Because it's very easy, is it not, to have our eyes set on an earthly prize and an earthly reward. And for us as Americans, it's even easier for us to have our eyes set on a cash value earthly reward. And when we're not having the money breakthrough that we want or the job breakthrough that we want, we feel like nothing is working right. Our life is miserable. We no longer have the joy of the Lord that is in our heart. And if you don't have the joy of the Lord, guess what you also cannot have? Strength. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we find ourselves blown about by the earthly winds of our culture. 
trying to get us to value what God has never asked us to value in the first place. This will not bring you life. It will not happen. It will never happen. Stop chasing that, you sons and daughters, you ladies and gentlemen, you church in the book of Hebrews, you church in the city of Kennesaw, you have a different reward. And it is an eternal one. And you are not living for earthly rewards anymore. Everything that you do is earning you a prize that is keeping for you until Jesus returns. And that is what we live for. It isn't raises. It ultimately isn't even children or your family or your car or your job or your vacation time or your big house or whatever. None of those things are the pursuits of you as a man or woman of faith. Your pursuit is a heavenly reward. Sometimes we can assume that because we've been Christians for a long time, we've been in the game for a long time, that we are naturally mature or that we are naturally growing in maturity. And guess what? That is not true. And all we have to do is look around in our Bible Belt culture to know whether it's Nashville, Atlanta, Birmingham, anywhere in the south, sorry, anywhere in the south where, where we identify as Christian, we identify culturally as being a person of faith, but it doesn't necessarily mean that anything of substance has brought us to maturity. And so how do we have great faith? We have to capture these things in our life. In some ways, we have to recapture it. For some of you, it might be capturing it literally for the very first time. Sometimes these things right here, if you've ever, you grew up on a farm. Anybody grew up on a farm? Anybody? Literally no one. Good times. So, my, I did not either, in case you thought I was going to segue into this one time that I grew up on a farm. I didn't. But... I had a father that did. And my grandparents still, if I spend any time with them, we, we, they talk about farm life and farm culture. And they left it all in the Industrial Revolution and when car plants were being built for the very first time. They left Dyersburg, Tennessee. They sold the farm to work on the plant right, at in, in, in Chrysler in St. Louis. All of my family worked in Chrysler growing up. But they talk about farm life. And my grandmother, I can tell you right now, if you were going to have fried chicken, she would get up and she'd walk out the back door and she'd find a chicken in the backyard and she'd crank that thing to break its neck. That's right. I mean, if you've ever been around a farm, that's how it went down. And if you've ever tried chasing a chicken, all right, it's skill. You, you've got to grow in your capacity to catch a chicken. Chicken is all over the place. It's like, hurt, it's like catching a cat. If you've ever tried to catch a cat, it is utterly impossible to catch a cat. Okay? And sometimes when we talk about these things, when life is difficult, or when you're starting that new thing, 
You're in faith for that new thing, but you're not ready for the resistance that's about to come knocking on your door. Which, in case you're wondering, anybody that works out or anybody that works in a gym, why are sign-ups so high right now for New Year Resolution Gym memberships? And then a month later, no one is there, right? I'm exaggerating, but very few make it. Because if you endeavor to do something new and to do something great, you better expect there to be resistance. Ours is not a physical resistance. It is a spiritual one because the enemy hates what you and I are trying to do. And that's you growing in confidence in Jesus Christ. If you're going to have great faith, you need to sit here this morning and you need to accept the reality that, you're having, that you have an enemy that is going to try to resist you. He's going to try to fight you encountering this and experiencing this. And so what do you have to have in your, in your, in your belt, in your, in your, what am I saying, in your back pocket? Endurance. That's exactly right. So don't throw away your confidence. So let's get real practical here in 2019. How can we do this in a way that makes sense for you and I? We have four things. And they're all variations of what we already described. If you want to have great faith, and you want to have your faith strengthened, which I know I do, I need it. As a pastor of this church, I'm telling you, I need more of Jesus in my life. I need more Jesus in my parenting, more Jesus in my marriage. Amen. Everybody can say amen to that. Come on now. I need, <laughs> I need more of Jesus in my leadership, my job. I need more of Jesus when I go home and visit family. Everybody said amen. Amen. Mm. Holy Spirit's moving right now. <laughs> Glory. We need more of Jesus which means we need greater faith. So here's what we need to do. Number one, remind yourself, faith for the future. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness in the past. And what has God done? If you're a Christian, that he has saved your soul. And you need to be reminded of your testimony. Revelation reminds us that we overcome the evil one by the power of the word. And the blood, excuse me, the blood of the lamb and the, and the word of our testimony. We're reminded of what Jesus has done for us. He died for you and I. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, hung on a cross. For you and I, he bore your sin so that you would no longer have to bear up under the weight of it any longer. And you need to be reminded of that because if that is true, if God is for you, what on earth can be against you? Who? Who will make claim against you? Who will make accusation against you? No, you are the delight of your heavenly God. And if you are his delight, who cares what anybody and everybody else is saying? Who cares? I mean, I, I realize there's perspective, but our problems become much smaller, do they not? When we 
understand the magnificence of the God that we serve. You be reminded of what God has done. Remember your testimony. Jesus has saved your soul. And don't you ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. Number two, you need to remember your reward. It's a lasting possession. It does not rot. It does not decay. It is not going anywhere. God sees how you live your life. The great news is that your salvation isn't measured by this cosmic balance of, of your good th- deeds outweighing your bad deeds, but also make, make no mistake about it, God sees how you live your life. And that you and I are earning a reward. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, We do not, therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now you need to know something here. When he says light and momentary troubles and struggles, people are dying. People are being persecuted unto death. And he is describing that difficulty as a light and momentary trouble and struggle. Why? Because in the light of eternity, it's nothing. It's nothing. I think I have problems, right? I think I have issues, or I think I've got church challenges or church struggles. And then I speak to some of our Every Nation directors, and they lovingly remind me of, of, of our pastors that are literally being put in prison and beaten for their faith. And I'm, I'm challenged because our, our, the location of our church isn't really great distance to where people are living in these communities. Oh, okay, really? Really? Is that your struggle, Andy? <laughs> Is that your problem? Oh, there's some friction here, you know, with this person or that. Or, you know what, I'm doubting o- over here. I've been struggling with this or I'm insecure here. Okay, I mean, I hear that. Be reminded who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And be reminded of what your true reward is. You do not live for any single thing the world has to offer you. Your reward is an eternal one. So fix your eyes on what is true and what is right. And it isn't money. It isn't numbers. It isn't size. It isn't job. It isn't anything the world is trying to sell you as bigger and better. It's a spiritual prize, an eternal one that only God can give and only God sees my heart. I live for him and him alone. Thirdly, you need to remember that Jesus Christ is returning. We don't talk about this a lot of times in churches anymore, but I have, the truth is that heaven is real and that if we know Jesus, you spend eternity with him. And guess what? When he returns, if you don't, well, there's eternity in not having relationship with him. We call that hell. And we can get into all kinds of sermons on heaven and hell 
but there is this growing kind of culture that doesn't want to talk about the realities of eternity. But understand, Jesus is very clear when he says, man, when I return like a thief in the night, you're not going to know when, you're not going to know how, but boy, I sure hope that when I return that you are faithful, that your hand is to the plow, that you're not looking back, but that you are, that you are doing the work of a Christian. Remember that you have a Savior, and he has promised to return. Do not fix your eyes on things that do not matter. Fix your eyes on being faithful as the bride of Christ, of living right before him, of honoring him with your life and giving him everything you've got. We have a Savior who is going to return for us, whether in our lifetime or the next or some other time. I don't know. But my job isn't to worry about when. My job is to do one thing, and that's simply to be faithful to my Savior King who is returning. And then lastly, here in Hebrews, I love how it says it, the writer, he says, we, verse 39, are not of those who shrink back. That's not who you are. So who are you? You are those who have faith and preserve their souls. So how do we have great faith in 2019? Well, we, we remind ourselves of our testimony. We remind ourselves of our eternal reward. We remind ourselves of our one true Savior that we can live faithfully for. And we remind ourselves who God calls us to be. And here is who I am. I am not of the kind of person who shrinks back. I'm the person who has faith because this is who God has made me to be. And he has made you to be this as well. The moment you put your faith in Christ, there was a change on the inside of you. And you have been made something new. The old is gone and the new has come. That's not who you are anymore. Far be it from you or I to shrink back. To let go of our faith. That's not who you are. You are called to have great faith. To believe and to trust. What is faith? What, what is the definition of faith? Or what is, our, what, is, what is our 2019 version of faith look like? And I don't mean like your truth here. I just mean in language that maybe we all understand. It's, not, it's walking by faith, not by sight. Understanding it's trusting in what you don't see rather than simply trusting in what you do see. God, this looks impossible. I know. But faith says we serve a God of impossible things. He takes that which is impossible and he makes it possible. This looks, this looks like hell, God. What am I possibly going to do with this? Yep. It's about right. It looks like there's no way for there to be, for you to make a way. Yep. That sounds about right. God, there's no possible way that that person or that family member will ever come to know you. I've stopped praying. I've let go of, uh, of faith for it. Okay. But 
reminded, who are you? Are you the kind of person that is shrinking back in your faith? Or are you the kind of person who is stepping forward in faith, reminding yourself who God is, reminding yourself who you are, reminding yourself of the reward that awaits you, reminding yourself of the past and how God has moved. If you want to have great faith for 2019, you've got to be remembering those four things. I'm sure there are other things we could add to the list. But some of you are facing really difficult circumstances. Some of you are excited like a New Year's resolution to face those situations and those circumstances. The resistance is coming. And when it comes, your job is to have faith. Your job is to trust your king. And to grow that faith by recalling the former days. Amen. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be a year filled with faith. I believe that our church is going to experience God doing impossible things, making impossible things possible. If this is your first time here and you've not heard language like this before, well, come on into this thing a little bit. This is a, a tremendous opportunity for you to grow like never before. Do not shrink back. Do not allow yourself to be apathetic. Do not allow yourself to be a Christian that simply sits and exists. Stretch out. Reach out. And let your faith grow this year. Grow into the fullness of maturity God would have for you. Father, we thank you. We love you and worship you. We're thankful, Lord, literally for a new year. Lord, a new year ahead. God, it's the first Sunday of the year, and we're excited, we're expectant. And Lord, I know there are things that are coming. There are storms that are brewing. And Lord, we choose now to prepare ourselves and be reminded. We recall the former days, just like the writer of Hebrews reminds us to, to have endurance, to be reminded of who you are. Lord, to face difficult situations with joy. God, we're reminded to have compassion and sympathy, to grow in love for one another, to reject indifference. We're reminded about what it means to have a renewed perspective. How would you help us? Even as we sit here this morning, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to remind some of you some of you are going through some really difficult things. And you're just not sure how you're going to make ends meet or you're not sure how it's all going to add up or how it's all going to work out. And I feel, I feel the Holy Spirit just drawing close to you now, reminding you who He is. The God that cares for you. God is working in your life cares for your kids, cares for your family. Some of you are sitting here and you're 
you're, you're battling with offense. There's just things in your heart you haven't been able to get out or get through, and it just feels like a ship that's come into harbor. And I just sense the Holy Spirit saying, give that to me. Remember who I am, the God that forgives, that gives you the power to forgive, to overlook, to let go. Some of you have found yourself wondering why you're just not growing and you found yourself almost even just facing just an apathetic life and you're, you're not sure how to, how to quick, how to charge that soul up. Feel excited again. And I feel the Holy Spirit just saying, remember who I am. Remember what I've done for you. savor of souls has set you free. He's drawn close to you that you'd be reminded of who he is today. Anchored in him. That you wouldn't shrink back. You wouldn't cast aside your confidence but that you would grow in faith. It's in your son's name we pray.